Chapter 18 of Ronicky Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Ronicky Doone by Max Brand. Chapter 18 The Spider's Web. Only the select attended the meetings at Fernand's. It was doubly hard to choose them. They had to have enough money to afford high play, and they also had to lose without a murmur. It made it extremely difficult to build up a clientele, but Fernand was equal to the task. He seemed to smell out the character of a man, or woman, to know at once how much iron was in their souls. And following the course of an evening's play, Fernand knew the exact moment at which a man had had enough. It was never twice the same for the same man. A rich fellow who lost twenty thousand one day, and laughed at it, might groan and curse if he lost twenty hundred a week later. It was Fernand's desire to keep the groans and curses from being heard in his gaming-house. He extracted wallets painlessly, so to speak. He was never crooked, and yet he would not have a dealer in his employ unless the fellow knew every good trick of running up a deck. The reason was that while Fernand never cheated in order to take money away from his customers, he very, very frequently had his men cheat in order to give money away. This sounds like a mad procedure for the proprietor of a gambling-house, but there were profound reasons beneath it. For one of the maxims of Fernand, and like every gambler he had many of them, was that the best way to make a man lose money is first of all to make him win it. Such was Monsieur Frederick Fernand. And if many compared him to Falstaff, and many pitied the merry fat old man for having fallen into so hard a profession, yet there were a few who called him a bloated spider, holding his victims with invisible cords, and bleeding them slowly to death. To help him he had selected two men, both young, both shrewd, both iron in will and nerve and courage, both apparently equally expert with the cards, and both as equally capable of pleasing his clients. One was a Scotchman, McKeever. The other was a Jew, Simons. But in looks they were as much alike as two peas out of one pod. They hated each other with silent, smiling hatred, because they knew that they were on trial for their fortunes. Tonight the Jew, Simons, was dealing at one of the tables, and the Scotchman, McKeever, stood at the side of the master of the house, ready to execute his commissions. Now and again his dark eyes wandered toward the table where the Jew sat, with the cards flashing through his fingers. McKeever hungered to be there on the firing line. How he wished he could feel the sifting of the polished cardboard under his fingertips. They were playing blackjack, he noted the smooth skill with which Simons buried a card. And yet the trick was not perfectly done. Had he, McKeever, been there, at this point he was interrupted by the easy, oily voice of Monsieur Fernand. This is an infernal nuisance. McKeever raised his eyebrows and waited for an explanation. Two young men, very young, very straight, had just come into the rooms. One he knew was Jerry Smith. Another table and dealer wasted, declared Monsieur Fernand. Smith, and by heavens, he's brought some friend with him. 
"'Shall I see if I can turn them away without playing?' asked McKeever. "'No, not yet. Smith is a friend of John Mark. Don't forget that. Never forget, McKeever, that the friends of John Mark must be treated with gloves, always.' "'Very good,' replied McKeever, like a pupil memorizing in class. "'I'll see how far I can go with them,' went on Monsieur Fernand. He went straight to the telephone and rang John Mark. "'How far should I go with them?' he asked, after he explained that Smith had just come in. "'Is there someone with him?' asked John Mark eagerly. "'A young chap about the same age, very brown. "'That's the man I want.' "'The man you want?' "'Fernand?' said Mark, without explaining. Those youngsters have gone out there to make some money, at your expense. Monsieur Fernand growled. I wish you'd stop using me as a bank, Mark, he complained. Besides, it costs a good deal. I pay you a tolerable interest, I believe, said John Mark coldly. Of course, of course. Well, this in the manner of great resignation, how much shall I let them take away? Bleed them both to death, if you want. Let them play on credit. Go as far as you like. Very well, said Fernand, but I may be out there later myself. Good-bye. The face of Frederick Fernand was dark when he went back to McKeever. What do you think of the fellow with Jerry Smith? he asked. Of him? asked McKeever, fencing desperately for another moment, as he stared at Ronicky Doone. The latter was idling at a table close to the wall, running his hands through a litter of magazines. After a moment he raised his head suddenly and glanced across the room at McKeever. The shock of meeting glances is almost a physical thing. And the bold, calm eyes of Ronicky Doone lingered on McKeever and seemed to judge him and file that judgment away. McKeever threw himself upon the wings of his imagination. There was something about this fellow, or his opinion would not have been asked. What was it? Well, asked Frederick Fernand peevishly, what do you think of him? I think, said the other casually, that he's probably a western gunman, with a record as long as my arm. You think that? asked the fat man. Well, I have an idea that you think right. There's something about him that suggests action. The way he looks about, so slowly, that is the way a fearless man is apt to look, you know. Do you think you can sit at a table with Ronicky Doone, as they call him, and Jerry Smith, and win from them this evening? With any sort of luck, Leave luck out of it. John Mark has made a special request. Tonight, McKeever, it's going to be your work to make luck come to you. Do you think you can? A faint smile began to dawn on the face of McKeever. Never in his life had he heard news so sweet to his ear. It meant, in brief, that he was to be trusted for the first time at real manipulation of the cards. His trust in himself was complete. This would be a crushing blow for Simon's. "'Mind you,' the master of the house went on, "'if you're caught at working—' "'Nonsense,' said McKeever happily. "'They can't follow my hands. "'This fellow Dune, I don't know. "'I'll take the chance. "'If you're caught, I turn you out. "'You hear? "'Are you willing to take the risk?' "'Yes,' said McKeever, very pale but determined. "'At the right moment, McKeever approached Jerry and Ronicky, "'dark, handsome, smoothly amiable.' He was clever enough to make no indirect effort to introduce the topic. "'I see that you gentlemen are looking about,' he said. "'Yonder is a clear table for us. Do you agree, Mr. Smith?' Jerry Smith nodded. 
and having introduced Ronicky Doone, the three started for the table which had been indicated. It was in an alcove, apart from the sweep of big rooms which were given over to the players. It lay, too, conveniently in range of the beat of Frederick Fernand, as he moved slowly back and forth, over a limited territory, and stopped here and there for a word, here and there for a smile. He was smoothing the way for dollars to slide out of wallets. Now he deliberately stopped the party in their progress to the alcove. "'I have to meet you,' he said to Ronicky. "'You remind me of a friend of my father, a young Westerner, those many years ago. Same brown skin, same clear eye. He was a card expert, the man I'm thinking about. I hope you're not in the same class, my friend.' Then he went on, laughing thunderously at his own poor jest. Particularly from the back as he retreated, he seemed a harmless fat man, very simple, very naive. But Ronicky Doone regarded him with an interest both cold and keen. And with much the same regard, after Fernand had passed out of view, the Westerner regarded the table at which they were to sit. In the alcove there were three wall lights, giving an ample illumination, too ample to suit Ronicky Doone, for McKeever had taken the chair with the back to the light. He made no comment, but taking the chair which was facing the lights, the chair which had been pointed out to him by McKeever, he drew it around on the far side, and sat down next to the professional gambler. End of chapter 18